check two. There it is. How's everyone doing? Good. Good to see you. Would you go ahead and stand up? Uh, my name is Jordan. I'm usually over with the youth. Haven't been over here in a while, but glad to be here to sing with you guys, worship with you guys. We're going to sing a couple familiar songs, praising our God, praising our maker. Let's just sing. Let's ask him to come draw near to us tonight and help us to hear from the Holy Spirit from his word tonight as we sing. Lord, I come, I confess, bowing here, I find my rest, and without you, I fall apart, cause you're the one that guides my heart. Lord, I need you. Oh. 
of His holy name. Sing like never before. Oh, my soul, I'll worship Your holy name. Your rich in love and your slow to great and your heart is kind for all your goodness I will keep on singing ten thousand reasons for my heart to find oh bless the Lord oh my soul oh my soul Worship His holy name. Oh, sing like never before. Oh, my soul, I worship Your holy name. And on that day when my strength is failing, the end draws near and my time has come still my soul will sing your praise unending forever ten thousand years and then forevermore forevermore oh bless the lord oh my soul Worship His holy name. Oh, sing like never before. Oh, my soul, I worship Your holy name. Bless the Lord, bless the Lord, oh, my soul. Oh, my soul, worship His holy name. Sing like never before, oh my soul, I worship your holy name. Worship, Lord, I worship your holy name. Oh God, I worship your holy name. Amen. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for the ability to worship, for the gift of worship. Thank you for saving us by your blood on that cross. Thank you for your son, for your forgiveness, your redemption. God, we just, we don't take it for granted. God, and we thank you for it. And as we look forward to Easter in the next couple weeks, God, we pray that you continually remind us of your love by your resurrection, by the cross. And we love you and we praise you for that. It's in your holy name we pray. Amen. All right. Thanks for being here tonight to uh, worship together, pray together, study God's word. Um, so thankful for Jordan. He stepped in at the last minute for us tonight because the person we originally had... Uh, in place, got sick this afternoon and wasn't able to, to come, but also, uh, Jordan's not just going back to play with our student ministry, he's got a whole band that he's got together tonight, so they've got the whole stage full back there with some students leading, and he's pouring into their lives, investing in them, he's also, Jordan's getting ready to graduate from OBU in May, so he's praying about God's direction of his life and what that's going to look like, and so... I'm thankful for what he's done with our, with our student ministry and, and being a part of that. Hopefully you got one of the half sheets of paper on, on the back. If you want to open to Matthew chapter 5, we're going to get there in just a few minutes uh, when it comes to continuing our study through, uh, through the Beatitudes. We'll do a couple of things before we actually get to Matthew 5, but we're going to be looking at the 5th and 6th Beatitudes uh, tonight. Let's do a couple of things, though, before... Before we get to that point, the first is, 
you've seen a song like that, it says 10,000 reasons uh, to bless his name. We don't have time for 10,000 reasons, but uh, it's good in a, in a time like this just to be able to give praise to God, give thanks to God for his work in his life, in, in his life, in our lives. Um, does anybody have anything that they would like to share tonight to him? Obviously, give praise to God and encourage others about something he's done in your life or something you've seen him doing. Yeah. I thought Jay had us there, so, uh, yeah. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, good. Thanks for your encouragement, guys. Thanks, Billy. Yeah. Thank you for saying that. It's a good reminder that Philippians 4.13, that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us, it has a lot more to do in that verse with going through hard times than it does winning the ball game or getting the car or house you've always wanted, like it's, it's his strength. Thanks for saying that. Yes. <laughs> yeah. That's a good, that's a good reason not to be here at first. <laughs> that's great. <laughs> I'm thankful for your Sunday school class, too. <laughs> Why we're thankful for your Sunday school class, yeah, I know you are. Thank you for saying that, though. It's amazing to see you all love one another and love the Lord together. So you guys are a great example for all of us of that. Yeah, if you couldn't hear what she was saying, she just said that sometimes we look for something unique or different, and sometimes the blessing of God is just his faithfulness, his transformation of our lives. And, and often that happens in small ways, not, not big ways. It's day by day. Yes. Yeah, we love you, John. Thanks for saying that. That's great, yeah. What church was it, Gary? What church? Oh, one of the Life Church guys? Yeah. That's great. Yeah, we just keep. <laughs> That's great. He's going to give in one of these days, so. Uh, yeah. It, yes. That's right. That's exciting. He's doing great. I asked Wayne if he'd been able to hold him yet, or uh, <laughs> just a little bit, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, <laughs> that's all right.
And that is true. It's often when we look back that we see that most clearly. So, yeah, thanks for saying that. Yes. the mouth of babes is normally where we hear the, hear the Lord speak. It's pretty cool. I'm thankful for our staff. We, uh, and, and this is at Carl's, uh, Carl's sick and not able to be here tonight, but Carl Dean, who, you know, serves on our staff and works with senior adult ministry and evangelism, he's, he encourages us, he's like, you know, we need to be getting together as a staff just to pray, just to pray together. And so, we got together this morning uh, as a staff, no agenda, just praying together, praying for salvations, praying for people we know in the church uh, who are in situations of spiritual growth or difficulty, and it was really, it was really powerful to be able to be a part of that. Um, and also, we are in the process, and you'll probably be hearing from me about this, but I've been convicted that we need groups of people gathering together to pray on Sunday morning uh, before before the service, before Sunday school, and so kind of laid out a plan for different groups in the church to come and, and be a part of that, so be watching for a note or, or an email from me. I kind of divide it weeks of the month just for different groups uh, to be able to do that, but that we're gathering together. We don't do anything apart from God's power and, and His direction in that, and so that, can, that needs to start at 8.30 on Sunday mornings, uh, and, and thankful for the church doing that, praying like that. Uh, just a couple of heads up of things coming. So this Sunday, or this Saturday, we have men's breakfast at 8 o'clock. So guys, uh, if you're an early riser, you want to be a part of that, uh, come on. This Sunday, uh, buckle your seatbelt. It's kind of a busy, a busy Sunday. We have our deacon ministry banquet uh, at right after the service, so if you are part of that, make sure that um, you've communicated deacons with, with your, uh, those that you care for, we're going to get set up for that. Three o'clock is the Vacation Bible School uh, volunteer training, so if you're interested in volunteering with Vacation Bible School, three o'clock, uh, that meeting will be happening. Four o'clock, we're going to go out in our neighborhoods and pass out Easter invitations. Ask if there's ways we can pray for people, hopefully have conversations about the gospel. So if you're not tied up in vacation Bible school meeting, if you want to come at 4 o'clock and pass out uh, uh, Easter invitations, we're going to do that. And then at 5 o'clock, we have our spring business meeting. If you're new to Emmaus, we do three regular business meetings per year. This Sunday night is our spring business meeting. And then we're going to have a church picnic um, afterward. We're going to do what Sandra said and, uh, and fellowship together. Uh, so I had, I had another pastor make fun of me that we were doing business meeting and church picnic on the same night, but I think it works really well. So, uh, so we're going to stay after. The church will provide hot dogs, chips. You'll bring desserts and games that you want to play. Board games, outside games, the weather holds up, whatever that looks like. So... That's, that's the game plan. 3 o'clock vacation Bible school, 4 o'clock passed out Easter invitations, 5 o'clock uh, business meeting and, and church picnic. You bring desserts, we'll take care of hot dogs and chips and, and drinks. And then just looking ahead toward Easter, that does come up pretty quickly. So remember that the, the week of Easter, that Wednesday night, we'll have the worship center open for you to do the Holy Week walk-through prayer stations. There won't be a meal. There won't be a worship service that night. You'll just be able to come between 5 and 7 p.m. to do that in the, in the worship service. And then it's, all, it's open all day Thursday. If, if coming Thursday works better or you have friends or coworkers you want to bring with you. And then Sunday morning, we do the two worship services at 9 and 1045 with the egg hunt in the middle at, at 1015. So, so that's the game plan for Easter. All right. Let's pray together again, um, and then we'll study God's Word.
Father, thank you for the opportunity just to testify to your kindness and your mercy in our lives. God, it's good to hear from, from one another about how you're at work. God, thank you for the gift of a church family, not, not in a prideful way, not in an insider-focused way, but just the gift of people who care for one another, who want the best for one another. God, that our spiritual growth doesn't happen individually, but it happens as part of a church, as part of a family. And as a result of that, God, we don't want to stay in these walls. We want to go out to share your love and your hope with others. And so, God, thanks as well for a church that doesn't just have inside relationships, but we're trying to go out, share that with others. We know we're not perfect in that, not even close, but, but we do look to you. And we look to your word and for the power of your spirit to, to move among us. God, thank you for the time of singing together tonight. Thank you for the time of Bible study. God, that you would shape our, our lives by your word. And Father, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, if you would, let's look in Matthew chapter 5. We're going to take a walk through Scripture together. So we're going to look a lot of Scripture, but it's going to happen kind of from early in your Bible to later in your Bible here in just a minute. And so I'll try to go slowly, let you find your place in your phone or in your Bible when we get to that. But let's go back to those Beatitudes first in Matthew chapter 5. We're going to read them all. To, uh, I'm, I'm going to read them starting back in verse 3. So this is Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, and I'll start reading there. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Tonight we're going to look at verses 7 and 8. So verse 7, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. And then verse 8, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. If you've been part of our Sermon on the Mount series, you've heard me say this. But if not, remember that that word blessed, there are two Bible words for the word blessed. There's the foundational word about God's divine top-down blessing, the good gifts that he gives us of his free grace most of all, salvation. So that's the primary Bible word. Then there's a different word that's used when you look at somebody's life and say they're living the good life. They're happy, they're honored, their life is fruitful and flourishing. Like that person is living a life that says things are going well. That's the word that's being used here. It's the word when you look across the street or across the aisle and say they're living the good life. So blessed, the good life belongs to those who are merciful. The good life belongs to those who are pure in heart. What does that type of life look like? Well, let's look at merciful first. The phrase, blessed are the merciful. We can't understand the word mercy without realizing how mercy is a key characteristic of God's character. Now, I'll throw out a huge theology word for you. And then you just forget it and go on. But when we talk about characteristics of God, God's character, who he is, we'll talk about those in two different ways. There are the communicable <laughs> attributes of God. In other words, it's something about him that can also be true of us. And then there are what are called the incommunicable, the not passed on. In other words, they're true of God, but they can never be true of us. So no matter how hard we try, we're never going to be eternal. No matter how hard we try, we're never going to be all-knowing. Except if you're 12 years old and you live in my house. Then you're all-knowing. But other than that, you're not all-knowing. We're not going to be all-powerful. There are things about God that are true of God that will never be true of us. However, there are other things that are true of God's character that are supposed to be true of our lives. So we want to be true. So... 
Bible verse that you're familiar with? We love because he first loved us. God is love, and those who know him are to be loving to others. You just go down the list. God is patient, so we should be patient. God is kind, so we should be kind. God is merciful, so we are to be merciful. There are certain attributes of his character that the more we know him, the more we worship him. This is why theology is not boring. It's core to our spiritual growth. The more we know of him, the more we want that to be true in our lives. So we serve a God who is merciful. So blessed are the merciful. Blessed are those who live out that toward others in the way that God displays that toward us. So point A there on your notes, on that first point, mercy is a core characteristic of God. God's mercy sees people as needy and powerless. Now, let's make a quick distinction between grace and mercy. We don't want to make a huge distinction because those two words are meant to fit together. But when you think about the difference between grace and mercy, one way to think about it is this. That grace is getting what you don't deserve and mercy is not getting what you deserve. They're kind of two sides of the same coin. So in grace, grace comes from the word for gift. So it's a gift we receive that we didn't deserve. Um, Mercy is when God looks on us and our poor, barely holding on to it, not worthy estate, but he still shows kindness toward us. Um, so you don't want to make a huge distinction, but you can, you can feel the difference a, a little bit that goes on there. Grace is given to those who are guilty. Mercy is given to those who are powerless and, and needy. That, that's kind of the idea. We need both, in other words. But, but mercy is, is slightly different. So we are shown by mercy by God so that we can then show mercy to others. Here's one way that a commentator defines mercy. Mercy is the generous attitude which is willing to see things from the other person's point of view and is not quick to take offense or to gloat over others' shortcomings. All right, let's go through Scripture together and let's look at some of the passages that talk about this idea of mercy. Exodus chapter 34. So in your phone, in your Bible, go back to Exodus, second book of the, of the Bible, Exodus chapter 34, and we're just going to walk through, through some of these verses. We're looking at, when you get to Exodus 34, we're looking at verses 6 and 7. All right, here's what it says. The Lord passed before him, this is verse 6, Exodus 34. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful, very first descriptor, a God merciful um, and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the children, the children's children, to the third and fourth generation. So we find out that mercy here doesn't mean condoning sin. That this idea of mercy doesn't mean just anything goes. It's a mercy that is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love. Interesting. You go to the book of Jonah. You don't have to turn there. It's not one of the places we're going to look at. But Jonah chapter 4 one of the things that Jonah does, he quotes this verse, and to him, it's a verse of frustration. <laughs> because he says, the reason I ran away and didn't want to go to Nineveh is because I knew that this was true of you, Lord. That you were going to show mercy and kindness to the people that I really didn't want to show mercy and kindness to. Here's what happens. When we see God as merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in love, it tells us we too are to show that to people, including those we don't want to be merciful toward, including those we don't want to be patient with, we don't want to be compassionate with. God is compassionate. He's merciful. Therefore, we are called to do the same, which means this Sunday morning, 
we get hit with verses like, love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other also. Anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, give them your coat. Jesus says things like that. Where does that come from? It comes from this characteristic of God, that he is merciful and gracious and compassionate. So you see this foundation in Exodus chapter 34. Okay, go to Psalm chapter 51. Psalm chapter 51. We're going to connect together this idea of God's mercy and God's forgiveness, that he looks on us as those who are needy. So this is a, this is a famous psalm from David in, in Psalm chapter 51. And watch as well the connection between mercy and purity. Because in the Beatitudes that we're looking at tonight, if you look at your little half sheet of paper, the first one is blessed are the merciful. The second is blessed are the pure in heart. Both of those realities come from Psalm chapter 51, and, and they're put together. So Psalm 51, I'll start reading in verse 1. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my brother conceive me. And my, my, good night. My mother conceived me. Verse 6. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Then look at verse 10. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold, uphold me with a willing spirit. So this idea again of how mercy and purity are connected together. Now remember how the Beatitudes start. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. People who are recognized that they're poor in spirit, we don't bring anything of our own that makes us worthy before God, so we're poor in spirit. And blessed are those who mourn, those are exactly the people who are in position to receive the mercy of God. Because you're at a place where you're completely needy, when you realize all my hope, my only hope, is if God works in this situation. And so we experience his mercy, and when we experience his mercy, what's the result of that? We become pure in heart. So blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. It's not random that Jesus is putting these two Beatitudes together. It goes back to that core idea in Psalm chapter 51 of the work that God wants to do in, in our life. Mercy followed by purity. Let's look at another place. Um, when you get to the New Testament, look at 2 Corinthians chapter 1. So 2 Corinthians chapter 1 is a passage that sometimes we'll use at funerals. Um, and it relates again to this idea of how God's mercy comes to us in our times of need, our, our times of difficulty. Here's what it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 3. 2 Corinthians 1 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort which we ourselves are comforted by God. Okay, I love how these verses work. So God is a Father of mercy. He sees us in our time of need, and his mercy brings comfort into our life. For what purpose? So that then we can turn around and bring comfort and mercy to others who are going through difficulty. What this looks like 
is those of you who have been through difficulty in life, you face divorce, you face the close death of, of loved ones, you face financial trouble, job loss, family problems, and you've experienced God's mercy and God's grace in your life, you can look at someone and say, I don't know the details. I, I, your situation is unique, but I do know a little bit about what it's like to go through that. And I know how merciful and comforting and kind and patient God was to me during that time. And so in small ways, I'm able to turn around and share that with others. This is why Sunday school classes matter so much. This is why fellowship and conversations with others matter so much. Um, it's because of that famous C.S. Lewis quote that friendships begin when one person looks at another and says, oh, you too? That's where connection comes from. When you realize, oh, you've been there too. And you experience God's mercy, you experience his comfort, and I want to share a little bit with you about what that looked like in my life. That's exactly how God's mercy and God's comfort is, is meant to play out here. It's, the, it's mercy, and it's mercy that comes back to the hope that we have in Christ because of his suffering and, and what he's gone through. Now look at Ephesians chapter 2. So you only have to go over just a little bit further. And look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4. We're going to see the word mercy and grace connected again, just like they all, they're connected all throughout the New Testament. So this is Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Now in Ephesians, Paul is really famous for just piling all these words together. He takes all these really rich themes and rich words and he just sticks them into sentences. Um, it, it doesn't make for great writing, but it makes for amazing theology. And so he sticks all these big concepts and themes in there. So he's giving you all these themes of God's mercy and his love and his grace and his kindness. And it's like this idea that's all being poured out to us, not because we deserved it, but because of who he is. And so when we receive that, we're able to show that to others. Let me show you one other place uh, that this shows up. Let's go over to Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 4. One other place that we get this, well there's a lot of other places, but, but another place that we get this idea of mercy. So we're looking at the very end of Hebrews chapter 4. Chapter 4 verse 16, here's what it says. Uh, let's back up to verse 14. So chapter 4 of Hebrews, verse 14. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Verse 16. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of God, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in times of need. All these concepts, again, are packed together. We have mercy, we have grace, and we have time of need. How do we find that mercy? We draw near to God who, who desires to give us. So when we have experienced that mercy, blessed are the merciful, they will receive mercy from God. Look back in your notes just for a, just for a second there. Under Roman numeral 1, blessed are the merciful, if you look at point F, so what's the opposite of this? So if we're called to be merciful, what would the opposite of this look like? Well, it's this assumption that we should demand revenge. So we see someone in a situation and we hold it over them instead of showing mercy to them. We see someone in a time of difficulty and our first thought is they're getting what they deserve. 
or yeah, they should be there. Instead of our first instinct being, no, are we in a position to show mercy to, to that person? Um, one of the best books I know on deacon ministry in the New Testament describes deacons as ministers of mercy, seeing people in their time of need and administering mercy to that person. Someone who is cruel, someone who is unforgiving, someone who lacks empathy, someone who keeps a record of wrong, these are all the opposites of mercy. Mercy says I see someone in time of need and I want to reach out to that person. All right, a couple of questions for us to, to talk together about this. First question, does anybody have a story about a time that someone showed mercy to you? You were in a time of need, maybe even a time where they could have held something over you and someone chose to be merciful and kind to you. I ask it this way because sometimes it's easier to brag on somebody else than to brag on yourself the time that you, hey, can you tell me about when you were really merciful to someone? That makes for a good story, but how about the reverse? Somebody showed mercy to you in a time of need. Does anybody have a story be willing to share in public about that? Puts you in a hard, hard spot. Ooh, now we'll give that. <laughs> Whether that mercy came from the Lord or not, I'm not sure, but we'll take it from the Lord. So uh, <laughs> that's awesome. That's a great story, though. <laughs> that does feel merciful in that moment. Yeah. What's the uh, so Dustin Witten, one of our uh, deacons and and cops here. I'm trying to think what his phrase on that is. Um, so when he trains officers, he tells them, I can count on one hand the number of times I've been talked out of a ticket, but I can't tell you the number of times I've been talked into giving a ticket when I was not going to give one. So that's Dustin's comment to young officers is, uh, the more the person talks, the more likely I am I'm going to give them a ticket. So uh, yeah, that's a good example, yeah. Yeah, just the time that you're in a, you're, you're in a moment of need and someone shows mercy and, and steps into that situation. The gift of being able to have that. And, and honestly, I know you, I'm not asking it in a way that you can tell times you've done this. But just the, the gift of being able to look into a person's situation and say, I know they have need. And there's a type of pity that is very prideful, that, that doesn't come across right. But there's also a time of looking into a person's need and saying, no, I really have compassion. I really care for that person, that situation. I want to do whatever I can uh, to help. Uh, little things like the group of guys that went over and built the wheelchair ramp, uh, two wheelchair ramps this last week. Paul Lewis came up to me on, on Sunday. I thought I was going to cry when he said this, but he, he was so thankful for the guys who came and built the wheelchair ramp he said, I just wish I had a lady with me that I could push up the ramp right now. <laughs> Meaning about Margie being in the, uh, in the hospital. So he was, he's like, I just need to get her home so I can push her up the ramp. Um, but you see someone in a time of need and you step in and you provide that, provide that care for them. Um, here's the reality. When you think about spiritual gifting, mercy is one of those spiritual gifts, one of those spiritual empowerments. Remember, though, you can't just say, oh, I don't have the gift of mercy, therefore I don't have to show mercy to others. Um, it does, the spiritual gifts don't work that way in, in the New Testament. Yes, some people do have a gifting and empowerment to show mercy. They just seem to overflow with mercy in, in situations. Uh, if Amanda was in here and not down teaching the, the kids, she would tell you that mercy does not come as easily to her. Uh, some people are just inclined where it just it's, that's not the first instinct. But that's one of those things that God does work in, in our lives. Oftentimes, not always, but in a household, you'll have one person who is more merciful than the other. And sometimes God puts us together to kind of balance those out maybe just a little bit. But uh, the way that we're able to show mercy. I'm thankful for Emmaus. I think Emmaus is a great example of showing mercy to people in, in times of need. Caring for people in a way that really meets uh, these needs. So that... They will know the mercy of God, not just to meet a need, but so that they will see this came from the Lord 
I can trust him. He is good and faithful. And, and you're ultimately pointing back to, uh, to salvation. Um, yeah, okay, let's move on to purity before we run out of time. So the sixth beatitude, Matthew 5, 8, is, is this idea of blessed are the pure in heart, uh, for, for they will see God. So pure means not mixed. Your life's not divided. It's not, I'm pure on the outside. I mean, yeah, I'm pure on the outside, but things are a mess on the inside. Look at Mark chapter 7. So Mark chapter 7 is a really clear example of this. What does it look like to be pure in heart? Mark chapter 7, starting in verse 1. Now when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the traditions of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. First things first, always watch your kids as they're getting older and learning to read their Bible and getting better. They can really try to use these, these verses against you. Like, look, we don't have to wash the dishes and we don't have to wash our hands. You're like, ah, that's not at all what that means. But, but good try. So, uh, so verse 5, and the Pharisees and the scribes ask him, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? He said to them, well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, this people, here's, here's our beatitude, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God, and you hold to the tradition of men. And he said to them in verse 9, You have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, Honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, If a man tells his father or his mother, Whatever you would have gained from me is Corban, that is dedicated to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down, and many such things you have to do. That's kind of a complicated section, but essentially they're not showing mercy to a father or mother in need. So, verse 14, he called the people to him again and said, Hear me, all of you, and understand there is nothing outside a person that is going into him, that going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said, then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from the outside cannot defile him, since it enters not into his heart, but his stomach, and is expelled? Thus he declared all foods clean. And we celebrate by eating bacon. Um, verse 20. And he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and they defile a person. So when you think about the idea of blessed are the pure in heart, there was a type of purity that was primarily external with little thought given to what's inside. Jesus is saying, you've gotten this reversed. It's not about external rules of cleanliness. It's about what's going on in the inside. Because out of the heart the mouth speaks. Out of the interior, out of the heart are where flow these type of things. And so God changes us from the inside out. He makes us pure. For what result? For they will see God. That this is the promise that are laid out for those who are pure in heart. Turn over your paper just for a second here um, to the back. 
if you look kind of right there in the middle at Psalm chapter 24, verses 3 through 5, who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? And who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully, he will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. And then look at Revelation 22, just below that. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it, speaking of the new creation, the new Jerusalem, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. In your mind, pull a couple of things together, um, and then we'll wrap up. Here's the first thing to pull together. Remember what Adam and Eve did in the garden when they sinned? They ran to hide, not only so God could not see them, but so that they would not see God. Because in their sin, they knew that seeing God would be a recipe for disaster. You get to Revelation 22, and that whole story is reversed. It's put back together the way it's supposed to be. Now there's no sin. Sin is defeated, and you're able to see God in holiness. So you have another one of those amazing Genesis to Revelation connections going on there. The other thing to pull together is on the top of the Ark of the Covenant in the Holy of Holies in the temple, there was a gold slab on top that had these angels that went up. You know what that little gold slab was called on the top? It's called the mercy seat. And the mercy seat, when the high priest would go in there once a year and, and the incense would cause a cloud to cover that mercy seat, what was one of the results of that? It was purity. Mercy and purity are always meant to go together and the way that God works in our life. Whether you're talking about the Levitical system in the Old Testament, the Sermon on the Mount, what Jesus promises for us for all of eternity. He shows mercy, and as a result of that, we're able to be pure. He's been merciful to us. Let's be merciful to others. All right, let's pray together. Father, thank you for the kindness and patience that you show to us. God, the mercy that you show to us. Um, in our pride, there's no way that we can make sense of that. That, that doesn't work in, in a place of pride. But when we are poor in spirit, when we mourn, God, in those situations, we're able to understand your mercy a little more, or at least able to receive it. God, help us to be merciful and kind to those around us. And God, I pray that we would be pure in heart. God, protect us from being a church where things look good on the outside, but inside they're not pure. God, we want to begin with inside purity and allow that to flow into everything we do. And God, we know we can't do that on our own strength. That comes by your spirit and your word working in our lives. And so God, I pray that you would do that in our church and that you would use us to be able to share your love with those around us. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Yes. Because Sadie was leading, helping lead music tonight, right? Say again. Who are the kids still here? You got the kid. Okay, thanks. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Let's pray for. Yeah, pray for them right now. Let's. God, I pray for Amanda. Um, God, for whatever she's facing right now with these uh, heart symptoms. God, get her to. Uh, Doctors who are going to be able to, to know how to care for her and meet this need. God, for the kids, the, the anxiety I know that would come with uh, not knowing what's happening with mom. And God, for Josh to be able to care for his family right now. God, thank you for uh, the Milsteads and, and them being able to provide care for the kids. That as a church, that we can continue to pray for them tonight and, and know how to show mercy and, and love to their family. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
B1. Check one, two, three, four. There you go. Check one, two. 